What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, this podcast is bringing you three guys with an immaculate record who some people may not like, but we all like each other because we all have immaculate records. We'll get into that on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I am one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein, here with me, Mike Duranik and Brad Miller. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, Ethan. Thanks for asking. I'm doing well. Uh, I, I'm excited to talk this movie with you guys, uh, and uh, it delivered on the rewatch, so I'm excited to hear what, what you guys have to say. We were just saying before we started recording, recording how many fantastic lines are in this movie. So for the cold open, I tried to just go with a reference that would not be brought up later. I'm going to do my best to not ruin Mike or Brad's favorite lines throughout this recording. We will see how that goes because there are just so many uh, fantastic moments, like Mike said, especially on a rewatch. So let's get into it, guys. Uh, I will start with the question that I always start with. What was your first experience with the Depadded? I'll get that out of the way. That's the only time I'll do a bad Boston accent. Um, was it in the theaters in 2006? Was it later on DVD, TV, something like that? And then what did you bring into this rewatch, uh, knowing that we were going to be getting into the world of the Departed? Uh, let's see. My first watch... Um... I don't think there's any great story to it. I think I just watched it in, in my my home one day, rented the, the DVD and checked it out. Um, and uh, I, I think what I brought into this is I always just forget how good it is. I, I you know, I have an idea of how good it is, but there's a lot of um, – meandering i'll say through the film like to kind of get to some of the good stuff you have to meander through some things and it's just you know there's a lot of characters they have to tell you about a lot of uh plot points they have to get to to lay out the whole story so it's it's kind of long and like through some of it you're kind of thinking like you know is this really as good as people say it is but then when you see the totality of the film it really delivers and um it ended up pretty high on our list and we'll probably get to that or on my list for the films we've done. So uh, I'll save the actual number for when we discuss that. But yeah, it's uh, it's one that if you watch it in its totality, definitely delivers. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Um, I was in college at the time it came out and I didn't know a whole lot about it other than I had heard that it was a Scorsese film and was likely to get a lot of best picture Um you know, noise and buzz. I, I had heard obviously Leo and Matt Damon and Jack, and that's all I went in with it. Other than the fact that I, I appreciate Scorsese, but have never been the biggest fan. Um, in particular, I enjoy some of the Scorsese movies, but they don't have a lot of rewatchability for me. Uh, I was enthralled with this one from the first watch. Uh, so I, I came into this, I've watched it a number of times, but honestly, this was one as I, I came into our rewatch that I kind of thought, this one may not hold up as well as I remember it. This is one that I kind of anticipated would score a, a little lower in my mind than it did. Um, and I am pleased to say I was wrong. Uh, I came into it uh, maybe anticipating it to have taken a little off of, of its fastball, but it, it delivered for me. I walked away thoroughly impressed. Yeah, for me, this was not one that I saw in theaters. I remember hearing my grandparents talk about it. This is back when Netflix actually mailed you movies. It wasn't just an app on the TV. And they had watched it because it was getting all this buzz. And I asked them if I could watch it. And they emphatically told me no uh, <laughs> at 11 years old, um, which only made me want to see it even more. Uh, but oddly enough, I did not uh, catch it until a couple summers later. We keep coming back to this. I know it was that summer of 2008 for me uh, when I really just became a full-blown movie nerd. So right around the time that I saw The Dark Knight for the first time in theaters, watched Fight Club for the first time, this was on that list as well that summer. is you know great, great movies to check out and loved it. And I think 
Um, what this movie did for my opinion of Martin Scorsese, and we'll get into him a little bit more uh, when we talk about some of the production stuff, but I think I, I loved this movie so much at the time that it, it altered my opinion of a lot of Scorsese films for a lot of years um, before I've really developed the opinion that I have currently of his work. So that was interesting. And, and Mike, I agree with you. I think what we've run into a few times on this show is these movies that win best picture, right? They are applauded as these all time great films. Of course they, they achieved the pinnacle of success, but there is a lot of times that the Academy gives awards to movies that are in the moment. They, they are great for the time that they win the award. And what we saw with, for you guys, something like Silence of the Lambs, I think for all of us by the end of it, something with Gladiator, it's great in its moment, and it does fall off a little bit. And I was uh, in your camp. Every time I rewatch this, I kind of wonder, like, is it not going to be as great this time? And then I rewatch it and remember, no, this is just a fantastic movie through and through. So super excited to get into all of it with you guys. Um, let's get right into the production stuff because there are so many people to talk about. I don't even think we're going to have time to touch on all of them. But of course, the the big selling power of this movie is, to me, Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon on screen. Of course, Jack Nicholson plays such a huge role. We'll get into him. But Leo, Matt, Leo in this run of he's chasing Oscars. Of course, it would still be a while before he won one. Matt Damon, really in the peak of his powers. This is Jason Bourne time, uh, right in the mid-2000s there. So for you guys, um, I want to start with Matt Damon because I think it's so interesting, and I can't, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the only time I can think of where he is just an out-and-out villain, or at least the the, the, the main antagonist uh, in a role. And um, I'm just curious... If you guys can think back, was that jarring for you because of what we had come to know of Matt Damon? And, and watching it now, what do you think of Damon in this film? I don't know that it's it was jarring to me. I think he actually he plays that part pretty well. Um, I think that some of this, and, and you get a little bit of it in... Um, Ocean's Eleven with, you know, he's just maybe a little bit socially awkward, uh, trying too hard to impress the people around him. Like he wasn't a villain in that movie, but he definitely like he set himself apart from the rest of the group. Um, so you see bits and pieces of the same character in that role. Um, but I think, you know, maybe it's a little bit of his natural personality coming out um, where I think he's probably... Um, He's probably a good hang with his buddies, you know, like he he's probably pretty cool with them. But I bet he's probably not if, if you're not, you know, in his clique, I could see him being kind of naturally standoffish and and, and prickish in real life. I, I I don't know. I've never heard that, but I, I get that sense a little bit. So um, not jarring, but uh, I mean, he definitely he definitely nails it. He, he plays the part really well. So um I still think that uh, I would I would say that Leo is the is the lead to me. Leo steals this movie, um, but Damon is definitely right there hanging with him in those scenes. Yeah, I I think that uh, what I came into this movie with obviously a number of Matt Damon uh, movies and seeing him play more of your you know bad guy, your your classic antagonist, um, and having him in that sleazy role. Um, it was something different. It was it was really refreshing, honestly, because it definitely showed that he had the ability to to uh, play that way, play that type of a character. Um, and you know, quite frankly, it played what, better for me because I'm a bigger Matt Damon fan than I am a Leo fan. I appreciate them both, but for me, I think this movie doesn't play as well if they reverse characters because my natural inclination is to want to, to pull for Matt Damon, to root for Matt Damon and not for Leo. And so that added some additional tension to this, this movie because of the way that they were cast in those roles. Yeah, I would completely agree. I I've always been a much bigger uh, Damon fan than Leo. And um, I always appreciate when someone plays against their typecast. Um, you know, like he was, 
two born movies deep at this point the year following this he would uh, finish up that trilogy and so i mean he is he's definitely at the peak of being like an action hero and then to step in and do this of course scorsese is one of those guys you know in hollywood if you get a call and he has a part you take it you don't really care about typecast when he's the one on the other end of the phone i'll ask this then i think would just real quick we, we all agree that goodwill hunting is the peak of matt damon i know brad agrees mike are you on that boat yeah, as well? I, I don't think i can argue with that i think so that, removing think removing goodwill hunting from the equation because it is just such an all-time classic uh, where would you guys go past that for Matt Damon um, in terms of best performance? Because that's just so early in his career that just kind of sets sets his career off on a, on a rocket ship. Since then, is The Departed in that conversation for you guys? Would you go a different direction? I, I know where I would go, and I, I might have a feeling that Mike and I might be on the same page, but I am curious. Uh, b- before I get into that and maybe give Mike a little chance to, to kind of look there to see if there's anything else for him. Um, you mentioned him, him as a bad guy or the main, um, antagonist. And I, I guess just to kind of dive into that just a little bit, um, how, how do you categorize that when the kid was basically raised to be exactly what he was and nurtured to be exactly what he was? Um, and I don't know that he was given much choice in the matter, um, especially once you get to a certain age. Like mm-hmm. he's probably going to be killed if he doesn't do exactly what he's told, and then almost you know taught or brainwashed to be the person that he was. And then he did everything out of loyalty and um, maybe fear of of uh, Jack Nicholson. There, like I guess I don't know where I fall on that. I don't. When 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 he came to him as a child and then basically raised him to be exactly what he became, you know, I, I don't know where I fall on the is he a bad guy um, scenario, because I don't think it was necessarily by choice. But I wanted to see what you guys uh, where you fall on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a strong, a strong point. I mean, Nicholson's character, you know, Frank is definitely the big bad guy pulling all of the strings. Uh, and so maybe the the characterization of Damon's character is incorrect if you say that he is the full bad guy, the full antagonist. He really is kind of the swing guy there. I do think there's a number of moments where you see him wanting something different than that, but not knowing how to get out of it, or at least you could interpret it that way. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's part of what makes this movie great is that he is a tragic character because of that opening scene and the fact that it's been since he's a child. But what we end up seeing by the end of it to me any morality that he has like he just continually just lets go of more of it and more of it and more of it and it's it's just completely gone by the end because there are those scenes where he's suggesting to um madeline uh vera farmiga's character like i could just do law school we could let's do it in a different city though let's move but then by the end of it he kills costello and you know that could be the end of it but then he realizes that Leo is kind of figuring it out. So he chooses to try to ruin his life. Then he kills the, the extra guy at the end to put it all on him. And like it, and he's willing to just like push all that aside and then like play the hero. So any moralities that he had, he let go of. I, I agree with what you're saying. He's being who he was raised to be, but there's also choices that he made along the way where he did pick a side, especially in the final 20 minutes of the movie. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I would definitely think that he jumped the shark after he killed, um, uh, Costello there and showed some of those true colors that, uh, that he was raised to be. Um, oh yeah. And, and definitely the, the murder of the other cop who essentially was, you know, on his side there, you know, he, yeah. he killed DiCaprio for him. So, um, yeah, for sure. Definitely at the end, he became what, what I would call a bad guy, but, um, yeah, I guess I just, I wanted to see where you guys fell on, uh, the nurturing part of that and where the blame falls when someone's that way, uh, to answer your, uh, your question, I think for me, um, the Mount Rushmore, maybe if I just kind of pick the top three or four, um, I'm a big rounders fan. So 
you know, I, I don't think it's his best acting per se. Um, it's, it's, you know, he, he's kind of playing a similar character to Will Hunting. Um, it, but it's, you know, in a different format, he's a very intelligent person who, you know, can kind of control, uh, his environment with his brain and, you know, his smarts and his, his street smarts there. So those characters are very similar, but I, I still love that movie. Uh, the Martian is probably there. And, you know, for me, the totality of the Bourne movies would, would definitely be, um, in consideration as well as, as well as, uh, the departed. So I think that those four or five would be where I would go for my favorite performances from Matt Damon. Yeah. For me, I think, um, rewatchability if you take goodwill hunting out of it rewatchability rounders is at the top of it um overall movie this is probably at the top of it my favorite performance of his is probably the martian um but as i'm looking back through i also have to give at least an honorable mention uh not a great movie a weird movie but uh in terms of his acting um the talented mr ripley uh again just a, a, an acknowledgement there that's a, again a character where really he wasn't playing the, the, the traditional good guy. Right. So um, that maybe is another one to kind of that discussion of when he goes against the grain of his typical will hunting or, you know, Mike McDermott uh, type character. Yeah, it is the Martian for me. Uh, if we remove good will hunting, I just, I fell in love with that movie the first time I saw it. And it, I mean, it's 80%, 85% of him by himself. And he's able to carry a movie, so it's just so impressive. I will give a shout-out. Um, if anybody gets a chance to see it, it came out this summer, uh, his newest movie called Stillwater. And it's a pretty slow, um, dramatic, somewhat thriller. But, I mean, it is up there for one of the best performances I've ever seen from him. It kind of, like, lulls you into, like, oh, this is a pretty good movie. But then by the end of it, when you really think about what he's gone through and see what he does on screen, I mean, I, I was sitting in the theater in tears. Um, because of just of his performance alone. So um, I think Stillwater is great. I have yet to see The Last Duel. Um, I had a choice between that and Dune the other night, and we went and saw Dune. So uh, I do not know if that one is good yet. But, I mean, Brad Pitt with the uh, bleach blonde hair. How can't it be good? Um, no not no votes Pitt. for... Sorry, not Brad Pitt. Ben Affleck. No Thank votes you. for Stuck on You or Downsizing? I liked Stuck on You as a kid. All right, let's uh, let's flip it to the other side of the poster. Then uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Mike, and I have both already said that you know we're not as big of fans of his as Matt Damon. I've never really hopped on to the Leo is the greatest living actor train. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with he's incredibly talented, just never had his award. He finally did get it with the Revenant. Um, for me, I guess I'll ask just kind of the general question I end up asking a lot of the times, though. Like, just where are you guys at with Leo? How do you feel about this film? And then where is this the peak or is there something more? Are you guys big Revenant fans? I have a different selection for mine, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. I, I mean, I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, I uh, my my first experience with him was in Growing Pains. Um on, on television but then it wasn't really until um what's eating gilbert grape that uh um you know he really kind of burst onto the scene as far as an actor goes um quick in the dead you know I, I remember um his role in that and then it wasn't really probably until titanic i i never watched romeo and juliet even though you know that was big and when I was in high school, um, just not my, not my thing. So I didn't watch that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think that he just, he, he brings it, you know, he, uh, for each role, I guess you could say time in and time out. He just, he, he delivers. Um, I think that my favorite movie that he's in is probably Django Unchained, um, and that is a very interesting role that he plays there. It, it, definitely not his, um, his peak role, but I, I do enjoy that character. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big catch me if you can fan. That's a good one. Um, but I think as far as 
just acting goes, I would probably have to put this as his as his peak. So, um, a lot of them, a lot of his most acclaimed movies I haven't seen. Probably again owing to the fact that I'm not the the biggest Leo fan. Um, you know, I, I would say I saw The Wolf of Wall Street. He was fine in that. I I did like him in Inception, um, but how much of that is him versus how much of it is a really well crafted story that delivers? Um, I'm not sure. I'm I'm going to to give a uh, a probably more outrageous take here uh, than you guys would imagine, and I'm going to say this is the second best performance he had in the year this movie was released. I actually prefer Blood Diamond and his performance in that to The Departed if I am stacking Leo against Leo. And Ethan, I see from your reaction, maybe that's not as hot of a take uh, in this this recording. Maybe you're there with me. No, that that's that was going to be Blood Diamond's my favorite Leo movie, Leo performance. Blood Diamond's one of my I know Brad's going to say, oh, you got like 30 movies. Like I'll show you guys the list, but Blood Diamond <laughs> is one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. Um, and it, I, I have never <laughs> yeah. seen somebody stuff so many things into a top 10 list. At this point, even I'm skeptical. Normally, I give benefit of the doubt, but I swear that this is the 15th top 10 movie you've referenced just in the last I think month. He has, it, he has it in commas. One, <laughs> this movie, comma, this movie, the comma, this movie. Two, you know, like, I, mean, I just, I've been known I to cheat understand. on. I've been on the cheat like that too and like bunch all of the Lord of the Rings movies together, but I feel like that's not totally cheating. I swear there's only 10. Um, but this has always definitively been in there safely. Um, you know, 9 and 10 have had their, you know, interchangeable at times. But I've always loved Blood Diamond. And it, and it is crazy the, the 2006 that Leo had um, because he is such a huge part of The Departed. Obviously, he is the lead. Um, it wins best writing, best director, best picture. There's only one acting nomination handed out in that entire film. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, it is not Leo. It's not Matt Damon, not Jack. Um, but Leo gets nominated in this year for Blood Diamond, which kind of had the reverse thing. Blood Diamond got nominated for many of its actors, many of the technical things. It did not get nominated for its writing, for its directing, for best picture. So where Departed was nominated for kind of the, the, the big ticket things. Then he was in a movie of Blood Diamond that was a lot more centered on, wow, these performances are amazing. And I think both he and Jamin Hansu got robbed in that movie. I'd love it if we ever did that movie on this podcast. I have no idea what month it came out in. Maybe we'll have that opportunity down the road. But... Um, it, it, it's, it's been an interesting career. Like I said, he finally got his, his Academy Award. And, I mean, for an entire career, it, it was deserved. Um, but I do think that this and Blood Diamond, to me, are kind of a cut above. His performance in Django is phenomenal, but also lends itself to only being in half of that movie. If we had two hours and 40 minutes of Calvin Candy... I would probably like that performance less because it's so over the top. It's very important for that character that it was in just a, a portion of that film, but um, it, it is a great one. So um, there are so many other people in this movie. Um, the, the one acting nomination, as I said, was for Mark Wahlberg, which when we get to favorite line, I may just say everything that comes out of Mark Wahlberg's mouth. I don't know. Um, but if, if we're going to talk about the supporting, I guess we should give Jack Nicholson his own moment here and then we'll do the rest. Um, Jack, for me, I, I, I am very confident. The first thing I ever saw him in was uh, as good as it gets. That's always been one of my favorite romantic comedies. I've always loved that movie. Um, it, it's kind of weird that like, because for me where I grew up, he, he had started to, to wind things down. Obviously, this was a huge role that he was in for my generation, um, but really hasn't had the big moments. So I have not really had an in-depth relationship with Jack Nicholson's uh, filmography in my time as a movie nerd. And I wonder for you guys, when you look back on it, is this just kind of, he was perfect for the role, he came into it. You do look at this as like, 
wow, he didn't get nominated. Where, where are you guys at with Jack Nicholson when you think about that? Because obviously he was much more active in his career when you guys were growing up high school, college age versus when I was. Well, really I'm, I'm looking back at his um, filmography and I, I think most of his big important roles were prior to, to my birth uh, prior to 1980. Um, you, you have, um, you know, as I'm kind of looking through, I wasn't old enough to really watch any of his movies until about, batman in 1989 um and after that i mean really the only roles that i'm you know i I, he was awesome in a few good men um as good as it gets was uh you know that's a decent film um anger management was a a funny comedy that i i like him in something's got to give and in the departed um and then since then really like the bucket list you know so like It, it i've gotten old jack as well um in my lifetime not the biggest jack nicholson fan i think that he was great in this role and i think he had his added his own uh eccentric personality to it and it um it took it to where it needed to be um mike had made a comment off air when we were talking a couple days ago about um jack's role in this film so i i'm curious to see what he has to say about it but um yeah i mean definitely in my lifetime this is by far his his best role maybe right there with um a few good men so um yeah i guess uh mike what what were your thoughts on his performance here yeah you know when when i've read um kind of critical reviews of this in the past or listened to other podcasts in the past about it his role seems to be the one that gets the most um critique uh or the most criticism um that he played it so over the top um, that it was similar to him to a caricature in the way that uh, Pacino became a caricature of himself in some later movies. I never picked up on that to that degree. He does play it more over the top, but I think that that's almost necessary for the character. I think it plays to the character. Well, Um, I kind of view this really as, and I know he had two movies that came out after this uh, as good as it gets. And I, I can't remember the second one that was a few years after that, but Um, Not as good as it gets. Um, Bucket list, right? With Freeman. There you go. I I misspoke. But I kind of view this as the end cap on his career. Um, And what a career it it was. I I mean, if you go all the way back to the the late 60s, the early 70s, really hitting it off with Chinatown and uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and and The Shining, and then some of the movies through the 80s, relaunching himself into the 90s, um, he had a, a solid solid four decade run. I know his career spanned about 60 years, but um, a real solid four decade run where he was a bankable star. He delivered in his roles. Um, And so, yeah, you know, is this my favorite role of his? I mean, it would be hard for me to look past The Shining um, just in terms of his performance in that and put this ahead of that. I also think that A Few Good Men such a small part in that, but boy, does he deliver. And I I think that that probably was his peak of his powers because the work he does in that movie, you have no doubt he is the pinnacle actor in that movie and he doesn't need to be on screen that much to carry that weight. Um, But I was very happy to see him in this. I really enjoyed his role. And on a rewatch this time, I came in looking almost to be more critical of him because of where a lot of the criticism has been. And I just didn't see it the way that I I have heard it from others. Yeah, I mean, starting in 1970 was when he got his first nomination. 33-year period, he got nominated 12 times for his acting. I mean, that's that's pretty uh, fantastic. And he won three of them. So um, that's that's up there. That you, you get nominated two times, you've accomplished something. You get nominated 12 times, you you are one of the all-time greats. I just, uh, it was just a different time period. Um, I am, as much as I love his performance in this, I'm incredibly confused at how Mark Wahlberg was the one that got picked to be nominated. I'm really not sure. I don't know if they just really, really liked the way that he said the F word. If he just had a little more emphasis on it. But um, we don't need to touch on everyone, but just the cast of characters in this movie are so great. You have Wahlberg, you have Martin Sheen, which this movie comes out like five months after the uh, the West Wing finale. 
So he goes from being, you know, President Bartlett for all these years to, hey, I'm going to go be in this Scorsese crime film. Uh, Vera Farmiga, we talked about her with The Conjuring. I'm always a big fan. Uh, Ray Winstone, when he comes up in things. Alec Baldwin. Um, strange timing with what happened, the tragedy that happened with him recently, but he is fantastic in this. Um, So I don't know if there's anybody specifically you guys want to touch on before we talk Scorsese, but just all in all, everyone that pops up in this movie, I think, hits it out of the park. There's not a single person in this movie that just roll my eyes and move forward, even as comedic as Wahlberg is. Yeah, I mean, when I was talking with Brad the other the other day about this, he and I were, were chatting, and I said that was, again, one of the things that really hit for me is all of these different people hit it out of the park with their respective roles, and there's not really a, a missed beat in that. Um and that's that's hard to do to cast this many, you know, semi names to full names, give them all enough screen time that you feel like you're invested in their character and they all knock it out of the park. Um, but I really feel like they did. It's it's a an exceptionally deep supporting cast. Um, let's talk Martin Scorsese. And I'm going to pose it this way because I just want to say something that um, might might get a good reaction out of Brad. You have to pick one of these directors. One all their movies will stay. The other one, their movies will disappear forever. Martin Scorsese, Scorsese versus Michael Bay. I mean, I, I'm going to, again, this is your world, not mine. You're going to have to give me some context. What, what, would, what would be the top four or five films I'd be losing for each one of them? Uh, you know, for Scorsese, you're going to lose this, Goodfellas, Raging Bull, um... Cape Fear, Gangs of New York, Aviator. Do I get the 17 hours of watching The Irishman back in my life if I get rid of Scorsese's? You, you would have that. The reason I say this is because Michael Bay is, of course, looked upon as, at this point, one of the worst directors in Hollywood. But I have a feeling that I can convince Mike to throw away Scorsese, if only for one thing. Well, I've got bad news for you because when I send my list, <laughs> I think that this one beats out The Rock. Oh, are you serious? I, I had it below The Rock, but I just bumped it ahead of The Rock. And so, oh no, <laughs> the, the real question becomes the number two. And I, I think I'd really have to look at Michael Bay's filmography <laughs> again to try to see if well, his two, three, and four part. are more rewatchable than uh, Scorsese's two, three, and four. Um, but let's just put it this way. Both Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese have something in common, which, you know, other than the fact they're directors, most people would say they've got nothing in common. And that is that they both have one movie that I really solidly love to watch on a rewatch. Yeah. So I, the reason I wanted to pose it that way is just to change it up a little bit. Um, and, you know, Scorsese, he's one of the most decorated directors in Hollywood. Um, time and time again, got nominated for best director, best picture over and over again he finally won it won both awards with this those are his only uh victories uh for either category was for this movie and you know for me at the end of the day it has just gotten to a point where like like i said i love this movie so much that it changed my opinion of some other movies and everybody loves goodfellas it's the greatest uh, mob movie of all time. That's what people, that, that's one of the prevailing opinions. You know, it, it's this fantastic movie. I think it's just a little too long. There's just parts of it I just don't care for. I don't get into it. I think Casino is incredibly boring. I think Gangs of New York has like 45 minutes of a great movie and a fantastic performance from Daniel Day Lewis and a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be there. And Mike, you made the joke about The Irishman. I would pay a decent amount of money to get that time back on my life. So he, he's kind of a guy at this point that has, that doesn't even have a leash. He can do whatever he wants. And I just haven't always been on board with it. And I picked Michael Bay, hoping that your love for the rock would bring you on that side. I, I, I will be very okay with the blasphemous take that I'm going Michael Bay all day between the rock Armageddon, you know, my girlfriend and I just rewatched the Transformers movies. Are they terrible? Yes. Are they fun to rewatch? 
more fun than three hours of Wolf of Wall Street and the Irishman and Casino, oh yeah, it's more fun of a rewatch. So uh, I'm okay hopping on that side of the fence, but Brad's shaking his head at me. Yeah, no, I mean, this goes back to, um, I don't know, the, the analogy that comes back is like quality over quantity. Like Michael Bay has put out some easy to watch films that are you know uh entertaining but but no i think that would be kind of blasphemous that would be like saying you would take uh oh i don't know like someone over shakespeare like i was trying to think of just some modern writer that's you know popular but not that great but i mean i told mike the other day i'm not the biggest scorsese fan and the things i don't like about this film or were the you know there's scorsese inner injecting his own stuff into some of the scenes that didn't really need to be there but when you're talking about the quality of those films like we would be doing a this world a disservice if we're saying all of the scorsese films are going away so ethan can rewatch transformers like <laughs> um that's just uh yeah that's uh, you're you're not going to pull me to that side. I'm I'm sticking with Scorsese, and, uh, and I'm okay with that. Brad, would you rather watch if you had to tonight, Shutter Island, or the movie The Island? Uh, well, I've I don't think I've seen The Island, so oh, I don't God. know. I don't know uh, what I'm deciding between there, Ethan. Oh, it's the island. I don't like I, Shutter Island. I think it would be the island too. I, um, so here's the reality, right? I mean, I, what it comes down for me is Scorsese, unquestionably the better director. Oh, His yeah. films, unquestionably better. 100%. I think you've got to go with Michael Bay in this situation because Let's I got to go. be honest, as much as I do not like, for example, like I'm not a big Armageddon fan, I am far more likely to just keep Armageddon on for 20 minutes when I'm scrolling through the TV and it's on than almost any other Scorsese flick other than this one. We didn't, I mean, I didn't even bring up 13 Hours, which I don't know if you guys have seen that one. one I, I will legitimately die on this hill. Not legitimately. I will fight this battle that it is maybe the most underrated war movie of all time. Like, that movie, I know you guys both have appreciation for John Krasinski. I am a massive Krasinski fan. And that performance was the transition from, oh, this guy's not Jim. He is a legitimate actor that could actually win awards someday. It just happened to be in a Michael Bay movie, so nobody took it seriously. That movie is fantastic. And next February, Michael Bay's next movie, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. So for me, I have to keep... Uh, with Michael Bay uh, and my boy Jake Gyllenhaal. If you listen to our Prisoners episode, you know how big of a fan of his I am. So um, let's roll through then, guys. Let's, uh, we've, we've talked the production stuff there. Let's play a game, and then we'll get into some more about The Departed. The Rotten Tomatoes game, where I believe Mike is going first, Brad is going first this week. That's what I meant to say. I, I, I was going to say Brad the whole time. I confused myself. Um, Brad, what is the sitting Rotten Tomatoes score of The Departed? Uh, I imagine that this got some good critical acclaim and probably continues to still do so. Um, So I'm going to go with... uh, I'm going to say it crept into the 90s and go with 91. Okay, well, Brad, you uh, managed to get the exact number that I was going to go for. So I am going to go with 90... Two. I'm going to go up one. Mike went the wrong direction. It is 90% uh, for the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 94% by the fans. So okay. across the board, very highly rated. Um, I mean, this movie was a resounding success at, at no point. You know, sometimes the Academy Award winning films, you know, don't hit home for fans or at the box office or whatever. Uh, not the case here on any level. This was $90 million, which honestly, for, for a crime film, that, that's a pretty substantial budget. Now you look at who's in it, and that probably covers a majority of that budget. It made $300 million worldwide, which for a October Oscar-chasing film, 
uh, when you're tripling your budget, I mean, that 150, 180 would have been like, we had a big success here and this thing was 300. So, um, I got, I got distracted for a second. What was the number that, uh, that it was, it was 90. Yeah. I went the wrong direction. I I quite tossed it and you win. (laughs) Awesome. 90% for the critics, 94 for the fans. Um, this is just, this has just been one of those movies that everyone that's seen it, even people that I know that don't really get into this kind of genre. If you know, you're not a crime fan or like a gangster movie fan or anything like that. This has just kind of always been one of those ones that the departed. Oh yeah. That's a great movie. Like this has just always been just a solidly reviewed film by all walks of of life or whatever opinions people have of movies you know we talked about fight club there's obviously a huge demographic that won't like that movie and i i have always understood that and i accept that this to me is one that even the genre that it's in even though it's r-rated it's violent it has you know it has a a ton of f-bombs it's probably one of the most used f-bombs ever it is a scorsese film but it just has a way of the the quality of the film kind of cutting through all of that uh, and getting to everyone. So well, this might come through. I just got Mike's list on the text and it came in at number two on his list and it's coming in at number three on mine. Um, so it's probably giving a run with the Dark Knight for being the highest averaged film between the three of us. Yeah, it'll be up there for me. I will have to look. Um, I, I, right now, Ethan, where do you have the Dark Knight on our on our film list? Oh, the the Dark Knight is number one for well, Fight Club would now be number one for me. So Dark Knight would drop down to number two. I update my list usually at the beginning of each month or the end of each month when we go through it, but. I the Dark Knight would be my number two, and I know The Departed will be below the town for me. I will say that much. So, to, but. if if you decide on your number right now, the uh, well, Dark Knight would come in with a total score of eight between the three of us, one, two, and five. Um, and uh, The Departed right now comes in at five. So, if you are three or higher, um, it's going to score better or just the same as the dark Knight. So that's, uh, kind of shows you where we fall yep. in this film. Um, I don't know if, uh, from what you were saying, if it will be in the top three or not, but, uh, it won't, it's going to be really close. It, yeah, it will be close. It, it won't end up being in my top three. It'll probably be in that five, six, seven range, uh, when I look at it. But again, this is just kind of one of those, it's not one that I rewatch all the time, right? Like, I mean, we joke about how I find, you know, new ways to rewatch movies. Um, But this is kind of always one of those ones, like when it's on Netflix or something, there's always a hesitation. And I don't know. I mean, Mike, because you kind of said that you thought that this might not hold up upon a rewatch. So I don't know if you guys feel felt this way, maybe. But for me, whenever I see it, it's like, "Eh, well, I know that's great. But like, it's two and a half hours. There are some slower parts. I don't know. But then when I rewatched it just today, I mean, I was locked in from beginning to end. Like, it's it's easy to forget how great of a movie this is, and I'm not sure why, but it is great. Well, I think it's because it, it is so long, and uh, there is so much involved with it. And so, I, for me at least, it allows my mind to think, well, do I really want to get invested in that? But it's long, and there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of plot lines to pull through, but they do it so well that I don't find myself at any point in the movie thinking, man, this is dragging. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it flies along pretty well. Now I wanted to ask you this, Ethan, is this the most watchable best picture winner of the last 15 years? So I've got this for you. You don't have to think of this on the top of your head. I'm going to run through our best picture winners starting from this. And Brad, if you've got an opinion on this too, uh, you know, if we come to any of these that you think are a more rewatchable, better movie than this. So after this, the next one is no country for old men. Then we go Slumdog Millionaire, The Hurt Locker. Then we get into the 2010s. Ethan's thinking there. So think about those. I don't think most of the rest of these are going to make you think, um, but I could be wrong. The King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman, 
Spotlight, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Green Book, Parasite, Nomadland. That's a rough decade. <laughs> that was, as I'm looking at this, that was my takeaway more than anything like, was. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of The Hurt Locker, and I was about ready to just be like, no, that has to be. But then I thought about it, and I probably haven't watched The Hurt Locker in a decade. I mean, since right, well, pro- I mean, like late high school, early college. I don't know if I've rewatched it since then, and I've had opportunities to, and I've rewatched. I mean, I know I just watched The Departed late last year, and then just did it again for this. No Country for Old Men would be close, but I, but also that movie is a harder watch because of some of its subject material. So. Honestly, yeah. I mean, because of how bad and how many movies have gotten screwed in the last decade, um, I, I would agree with that statement. This is the most rewatchable Best Picture winner of the last uh, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen uh, most of those. Um, of the ones I have seen, there's a couple of good ones. I'm a, I'm a fan of Argo. I'm a fan of No Country for Old Men, Hurt Locker as well. Um Outside of that, uh, I've seen probably two or three more of those, um, and they wouldn't even come close to rewatchability as far as that goes. So, yeah, I think I would agree. That was a good thesis statement you brought, yeah. Mike. Yeah, and I mean, I, and I'll say this like off the top of my head, on if I was going to rank, you know, every movie I've ever seen before we did this, I would I would have said definitively that. I think No Country and The Hurt Locker are better than this. I would be shocked if I rewatched both of those movies tomorrow. If I was just 100%, yes, The Departed is third place of those three movies. And I think that's part of why I haven't rewatched Hurt Locker in so long is because I'm afraid that it won't hold up. No Country just I mean, I got we've been we're dancing around it. We're doing No Country for Old Men next week. So we can have this conversation next week about that movie. Um, but it will be interesting to see kind of where that is at because it's such a different film um, and it's the kind of movie that I know would not win Best Picture now because of how the Academy looks at things. They're very, you know, what's the independent thing? What's the small, very contained thing we can do? They don't really do these big name people anymore. It's almost like they get graded on a different scale uh, because there's more production value in a film. Um, so, so that that has been a transition and Brad if you really ever just want to throw some time away um, you can watch the artist um, because you can accomplish anything you want because a silent movie won best picture in 2012 because that makes sense um, we don't need to get into that let's wrap it up here let's do the fun things here uh, favorite line favorite scene I want to save favorite line because I, I just want to keep the anticipation going and I'm so curious where you guys will go Favorite scene. I think this will also be an interesting conversation. I've got a couple in mind and I haven't chosen one side or the other yet. So if you guys have a definitive choice, please hop in uh, and we'll see where this takes us. Uh, my my choice for favorite scene is when Queenan and uh, uh, William, I don't even know his name, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Cost again, yeah. Uh, Billy, um, when they meet up uh, towards the end there, and then they're they're running away from um, the other guys. They trap Queen in the room, throw him off the building uh, or out of the building, um, and then how that plays into uh, Billy making it seem like he was there through the whole scene. Um, and then also it was kind of entrapping um, Matt Damon, Matt Damon's character a little bit because he was telling the other guys to, to not pursue, to hold off. And that leads to the gunfire, uh, you know, the shootout there. Um, yeah. I just think that because that is where um, the two worlds start to kind of fall apart a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, Queen and death being pretty, you know, shocking there for, how they did it, um, throwing him and you see his, you hear his body hit and then the blood splatter, you know, it's pretty intense scene. So that's where I go for my favorite scene of the, of the film. 
for being one of the few deaths you don't actually like see you know the person dying that might that's probably the most gruesome death of them that sound whatever effect they did i don't know how they made that sound but that makes me cringe every single time i watch this movie that splat in the splatter it's horrifying but mike uh what, what's your favorite scene from the departed it's so hard to narrow it down as i stand here right now i had like two or three that i was really bouncing around but i got to make a pick so where i'm uh going is the kind of uh climax scene with uh leo and matt damon on the roof uh with the arrest and everything uh and all of their back and forth uh in the dialogue all the way through to damon saying just kill me you know i i am killing you and then the door opens and then the gunshot just like boom there goes leo like abruptly you don't see it coming the first time that you're watching it at all and so that entire scene right there uh takes the cake for me i think just both of them um acting off of each other exceptionally well the way that damon plays kind of the pompous i've still got you all the way through um, just just a great scene yeah, I, I alluded to it last week, like the, the different kinds of twists, right? Like Fight Club, that's a twist because there's there's a mystery that we don't know about, but then it's solved. There's movies like Prisoners where what is the answer to this this riddle? The twist of this is just there's 15 minutes of film left and Leo's dead out of nowhere. I mean, that watching it this time, again, man, I, I say things like this and just I, I try to think off the top of my head when I'm watching it. I, I got to give this the most shocking death I've ever seen in a movie. Especially when I think back to that first time. I mean, that that is a full-on, as I was watching it, just audibly, holy shit. Because the main character has won. This movie is over. He is going to be justified in everything that he's done. Is gonna, bang, he's dead. I mean, the choice to do that is just, uh, just shocking that they did it. And even to this day, like I still jump a little bit because it is just so abrupt. Even when you know it's coming, there's just no way to ever believe that they would do that. So um, I think it was fantastic that they chose to do that. My favorite scene, I wish that I could just say that like the first, the opening 17 minutes of this movie is one scene. Um, Because I always forget that they do so much setup and you don't actually see the name of the film it's like 16 and a half minutes in when he goes to jail they flash the departed on screen that's such an amazing way to open a movie um and the way they introduce the characters the opening monologue the fact that damon and leo pass each other is just so great but that's just such a long like i said it's almost 17 minutes so i'm gonna go with a different matt and leo scene than what mike chose and it's the movie theater into the alleyway that's such good filmmaking and such good tension building. Every time I watch it, I'm always, you know, I'm already thinking like the phone, the phone, like you would just catch him if you turned your phone off, which I don't know why he turned the volume back on. Cause it wasn't on in the movie theater, but whatever, we got to make it interesting somehow all the way through to him stabbing that other guy. And it's just, they do such a good job of building up that tension. So uh, that is my favorite scene before we get into favorite line. I do want to ask you guys one question. I forgot. Is that baby Matt Damon's or Leonardo DiCaprio's? It's completely Leonardo DiCaprio's. I agree. Um, I hadn't given it any thought before that question, so I have no idea. Why, why do you guys say that? For me... Better swimmers? I, I, well, um, for me, I had thought about it before. If it was, and I didn't know if there's anything definitive, it's almost impossible to tell because the way this movie jumps around with timing, who knows? There is some confusing things of like how long has something happened. But when she finds out that Matt Damon's a dirty cop, to me, those the way I took this. She looked at him and said, I thought I was the liar. And at no point has like cheating ever come up like that. That hasn't been a conversation. Like I didn't take that as like, I've been hiding something from you. I took that completely as I've been holding this guilt that this isn't your kid, but you are not even the person that I've known. That's how I took that. That to me was the definitive. It's Leo's kid. Didn't he refer to her as a professional liar or something earlier in the film? Like when they were having a discussion about maybe it was maybe it was Billy that said it. Leo, Leo did. Leo does. Because mm-hmm. I, I guess that's how I took that line is that he had whatever 
he had said in that moment had made her think that, you know, maybe, maybe that is what she's doing, but, um, that makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it definitely tracks. I don't know if we'll ever find out the real answer to that, but, um, you know, there's probably some Reddit page that has it dissected and Scorsese's probably admitted to whose it is at some point, but, um, uh, yeah, good good catch there. It it wouldn't be surprising at all if that was the outcome. Mike, do you have any other thoughts on that? Or you just you're hundred percent it's Leo's kid? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's working over time. Oh god. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, come on. Some all they it. do all they do is allude throughout this entire movie that things aren't well uh, in that arena. And then True. she has this affair with Leo. And then, yeah, it culminates in, I thought I was the liar. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, uh, they can say what they want, but but uh, I would be shocked if Scorsese's vision for this was anything other than, well, yeah, it's Leo's kid. Yeah. I didn't even think, the most awkward interaction in this movie is the overtime. And I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to hear that. I'm, I'm is there any chance that it's Dignam's kid? <laughs> It could be. Even if he's never met her, like maybe that's why he got nominated. Like he can get her pregnant just from how he talks. I, I can it's buy gotta it. be the it's gotta be the haircuts. <laughs> that is gotta <laughs> maybe the worst haircut in a movie ever. So bad. Um all right, let's wrap it up then, guys. Uh, we're alluding to Dignum and we'll see if he comes up here. Favorite line from the departed. Uh I'll go first. Um I'm curious to see where you guys go. Mine is just a kind of a funny throwaway line from Costello. It's actually two different lines uh, together. I'm concerned about a Chinaman who thinks it's wise to come to a business transaction with automatic weapons. And then he says, for his own good, tell Bruce Lee and the Karate Kids, none of us are carrying automatic weapons because here in this country, it don't add inches to your dick. You get a life sentence for it. That uh, that one was my favorite. I mean, you know, there are so many good lines that Marky Mark drops in this, but none of them none of them are even remotely PG thirteen. No, um, so I'm going to just set aside and say clearly, any moment that uh, Mark Wahlberg is speaking falls in as my favorite line. And then setting all of those aside, I will tell, I will share the one that uh, Brad and I were talking about the other day that jumped out at me and made me really, uh, really chuckle and go, that's a good line. And it's after, uh, it's after Billy Costigan's uh, counseling session when he storms out and, you know, she's chasing after him. Uh, Madeline is and says, you know, why is the last patient of the day or why, you know, why is it that the last patient of the day is always the hardest and <laughs> without breaking his stride, you know, Billy Costigan, Leo says, it's because you're tired and you don't give a shit. It's not supernatural. <laughs> and I just thought that's such a good line. Um, the way that he comes back at her. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that takes it for today. That's my favorite line of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I second literally anything that, well, not anything. There's a couple that haven't aged well, but almost everything that Mark Wahlberg says, uh, especially the maybe yes, maybe no. Um, but to keep it PG-13, I'm going to save my one F word for my favorite line. And it's it, right before we went to record. It's the one I've always remembered, and I just love it. It's the uh, Costigan orders the cranberry juice. Guy asks him if he's on his period. He he hits him. And then Ray Winstone, Mr. French, I'm the guy that tells you there are guys you can hit. And there's guys you can't. Now, that's not quite a guy you can't hit, but it's almost a guy you can't hit. So I'm going to make a fucking ruling on it right now. You don't hit him. You understand? <laughs> then the fact that he ends up still beating the hell out of that guy because he just doesn't like the basically the way that he shrugs his shoulders. That that line will always just... I'm the guy that says who you can and can't hit. That is that is my favorite line from The Departed. Oh, goodness. We made it through it, guys. That will wrap up our conversation about it, a movie that we all uh, have a ton of love for and one that, honestly, th this is kind of the fun of this podcast. was excited to do this episode, but uh, upon the rewatch, uh, even more love than I anticipated for this movie. So always enjoy when that happens. And we still know that definitively the worst movie we've watched is Bad Boys, which was directed by Michael Bay. 
that's called bringing it full circle, folks, as we close out the episode. Next week, we will be doing the film that won the Academy Award for Best Picture the following year from this one, No Country for Old Men. Um, talked about it a couple times on the show, and we are going to get into it to kick off the month of November. So we hope you join us for that. Thank you so much for all the support, guys. Other than that, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time.